Um, this morning, I'm going to continue in our series, a series that I've been preaching for a few weeks now, uh, about heroes. I've been preaching this series about heroes. We've been looking at different characters throughout Scripture. We've been looking at how God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. Um, and if you've been here a few weeks, hopefully that's starting to sink in and, and stick in your brain a little bit, but how God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. That's kind of the theme of this whole series. Um, we, we've, we've looked at a number of different characters, and I think sometimes we approach Scripture and the characters in Scripture like, man, them dudes, they were perfect. Or, man, they were more holy than the rest of us. Or they had something special that the rest of us don't. The theme of Scripture points us to the fact that they didn't, that they were normal people like us. In the common vernacular, they were normal dudes just like we are. So we've been looking at these guys and seeing how God uses them, how God uses the weak, how God uses uh, our, our internal doubts, how God overcomes the words that we even sometimes uh, say or, or, or what the world says we are. God works in our lives and uses us to accomplish great things. This morning, we're going to look at Peter in the book of John, John 21. But before I really get, get into it this morning, uh, I was thinking about this passage and, 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 and kind of the, the, the title this morning is Even Heroes Mess Up. Even Heroes Mess Up. You know, really, we could look at any of these guys we've looked at so far, and we can see that each one of them messed up at some point. But to, to kind of illustrate this, I, I thought of one of the biggest mistakes, and, and, and I'm kind of keeping my mistakes in a sense secret. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I, I, I'm the first one to line up and say that I make mistakes, but, but to better highlight this, I even know of a bigger mistake. Um, just before kind of moving to Montana to, to be a church planter, I worked in the oil patch. So I was in the oil and gas industry, and I, and I did a job, what's, what's called a welder's helper. So basically, you do everything that a welder does except the welding. So you roll up leads, and you hand him welding rods, and I don't know if you know anything about welding, but, but I basically did all the grunt work for a welder in the oil and gas industry. So I did that for about nine months, basically to, to help pay off some debt. But, but when I was in the oil and gas industry, I experienced the biggest mistake. Uh, I was part of the biggest mistake. I didn't myself actually make the mistake, but I, I was part of the biggest mistake that I've ever experienced. So this, this welder that I was working with, we were, we were working on, they call them slug catchers, but basically it was a, a four-foot in diameter piece of pipe that came in 30-foot sections that had to be welded together, and the total length was about the length of a football field. So we're, ta we're talking hundreds of tons. Each one weighed hundreds of tons. We had to make four of those. And one weld, you don't just weld one time. You weld pass after pass after pass to make one joint. It took about 16 hours. We had four of these that were the length of a football field. You know, one thing about the oil patch is you really start to get the idea of large equipment, how big, how big industry can be. These were huge. They took three cranes to lift one to get it up and put it in place. But, but when it comes to the mistake, uh, what I really remember is, is we got done welding all four of them. I mean, it was, it was months worth of welding just to get them welded together. We, we got done welding all four of them. The, the, the cranes showed up, and it was a 
two-day process just to lift these things off the ground and get them set up on the platforms. See, they had to be put at just a little bit of an angle. They had to be about, the, the low end was about four feet off the ground, and the high end was about 20 feet off the ground. So it was this long, sloping, massive piece of pipe. But we got these floated up there, put on their platforms, and we started bolting this little manifold down on the bottom end of it. And come to find out, uh, two of them were measured wrong. And, and, and it's not just like a two by four. Steel pipe is very unforgiving. You can't just cut it and redo it again. Beyond that, we had just used these cranes for two days to get them up in the air. Um, we came to find out that the mistake came when they were measuring these things out. They were about six inches off. And you're like, well, that's a, you know, it's a football field. Like, like, can't you just fudge it one way or the other and make it work? No, we had to bolt these manifolds up underneath. The, the flanges had to fit perfectly. It was, I mean, in this whole massive thing, the mistake of a few inches made all the difference. In fact, when we kind of uh, calculated it out, we estimated it was about $500,000 for one of those mistakes. $500,000. Now, I've made mistakes at work. Uh, you know, I've, I've, you, you try to avoid them, but, but you make mistakes sometimes, but I've never made a $500,000 mistake. You see, we had to, had to cut out the bad weld. We had to re, you know, put the edge back on it, and we had to, had to weld the thing back up together. Then they have to stress test it so it's safe. They have to x-ray it. All those guys cost money to come in there and to, to contract in. It was a $500,000 mistake. The guy I was working with had a, had a pretty bad day that day. I just remember, you know, his response to, to, you know, he was depressed to say the least on making that mistake. Usually you get fired pretty much on the spot, but for whatever reason on that job, he was lucky and he retained his job. It's probably because he was such a good welder. He was, he's probably one of the best welders in the West, but they kept him on because he's probably one of the only guys that could fix something like that. But he made, he made this huge this $500,000 mistake. So we know that looking at each one of these biblical figures, each one of them made some kind of mistake. David was an adulterer and a murderer. You don't have to read very far in Scripture to figure that out. I love Moses got mad. He hit the, hit the rock when he wasn't supposed to. He, he broke the Ten Commandments. Moses got mad. He had an issue with his temper. Last week we looked at Jonah. Jonah ran away from God. He went the other direction when God said, go do this. And Gideon doubted God's power. So all these guys had some kind of mistake, some kind of trip up in their lives. When it comes to us, one of our biggest hang-ups is usually the, the, the fact that we make mistakes. One of the biggest things that holds us back, one of the biggest things that we use as an excuse or something to say, I can't do what God's calling me to do is because we have mistakes. You know, we tell ourselves, I can't make a difference. We see the, 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 the needs and the things in Helena, and we say, I can't make a difference. I've done so many bad things that surely God can't use me. There's no way. You might say, Caleb, man, you're a pastor. You're supposed to be good. You don't know me. You don't know what I'm like. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been through. God can't use me because of my mistakes. A lot of times when we talk about mistakes, the church word for that is sin in our lives. So this morning, we're going to look at the fact that even heroes mess up. And we're going to look at the disciple of Peter. 
So the theme that I want us to take from this morning in, in this series of, of, of hero messages is that God's story is about redemption, not our mistakes. That God's story is about redemption, not our mistakes. So let's look at the passage this morning. We're going to be in John 21. It's the last of the Gospels, John 21. I'm going to be, begin reading in verse 12. John 21, 12. And I, and I, and I love how this scene, scene plays out. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. So if you ever think Jesus isn't a realist, Jesus liked breakfast. He says, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. The Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So we see that it's after Jesus has been raised, after the whole crucifixion. It's kind of after the, the, the fact, kind of a postscript the, the, at the end. Um, so, so when we begin to look at this passage, in John 21, this, this, this scene after the crucifixions, this, the crucifixion, the disciples were just starting to get over what had happened. They'd just been through this traumatic experience of seeing their leader crucified on the cross. And they, in a sense, had been scattered. I mean, if, if your main leader had just been killed by the Roman government, you're like, man, I could be next. So these dudes were kind of far-flung for a little while. And we kind of come to this passage, and, and a little bit of this background is that they're just getting back together. They're starting to hang out a little bit. They're kind of saying, okay, maybe the coast is clear. The fear of what, have tra what had transpired was starting to wear off, and they were gathering at a common place, the Sea of Galilee. And after all that had happened, after all that Jesus and his teachings had how, how it impacted their lives, Peter decides to do what he knew best, and he decided to go back to fishing. Just look at 21 verse 3. This is Peter talking. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told him. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. So we get the idea that, that after the dust had settled in a sense, they decide, Peter decides, you know what I know? This guy we followed for three years, he's not around anymore. But I know how to fish. Because Peter was a fisherman before Jesus called him. He said, I know how to fish. I'm going to go back to fishing. Peter's a, a guy after my own heart. I like to fish. But they decide to go back to, 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 to fishing. Even though they, they've decided to kind of go back to do what they've been doing, the truth of the matter is that the internal scars still remain, and we'll see that in just a minute. But, but, but even though they kind of felt like outwardly the coast was clear for them to start hanging out again and to start fishing and kind of go back to life as normal, there were still internal scars from what had happened. You see, not only was Peter surprised when Jesus was crucified, and we can read this in the Gospels, he wasn't just surprised by the fact that Jesus was crucified on the cross. But in the heat of the moment, Peter's, Peter was Jesus' right-hand man. In the heat of the moment, Peter failed. Peter made a mistake. And if you know the story, Peter denied Jesus three times. So right in the midst of the heat of the moment, what's going on, Peter made a mistake. See, when we look at Peter, we know that Peter was impulse-driven. 
Uh, Peter had a tendency to stick his foot in his mouth. Anybody else have that problem? I was even talking about that before the service, but sometimes we stick our foot in our mouth. Peter stuck his foot in his mouth. He had a tendency to do that, but he spoke his mind. And he was probably, at the same time, one of the most committed disciples, perhaps even to a fault. Uh, if you remember the story of, of Jesus walking on water, he calls to the disciples, and Peter's the only one that gets out of a boat. Sometimes he gets kind of a bad rap because he starts to sink because he takes his eyes off of Jesus. I like to think of the fact that, man, Peter got out of the boat. None of those other dudes did. So he's so committed that sometimes it was maybe even to a fault. He cut off an ear of a guy that came to arrest Jesus. So he was so uh, headstrong, so into it, that, that he was almost doing so to a fault. I, haven't liked, I, like, I like the fact that his name is changed to Peter, which means rock. He was strong and solidly devoted to the cause of Christ. The picture we get of Jesus is that he was, he was all in for following Jesus. Uh, excuse me, that, the, the picture we get of Peter is that he was all in to follow Jesus, even to the point of, of, of cutting off a guy's ear, of, of getting out of the boat. Perhaps the most devoted of the disciples. But when it came to the most important moment, when it mattered, when it, when it came to, to standing up for Jesus, he failed. Even so much so that he couldn't even tell the truth to a small girl that he encountered the night Jesus was crucified. He denied Jesus even then. So from this, knowing uh, who Peter is, kind of knowing the background of the pa this passage, we come to verse 15. Verse 15 is where Jesus enters the picture. When they had finished e eating, Jesus said to Simon, Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Jesus is asking probably his most devoted follower out of his disciples. Peter says, yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And I love this passage. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Peter had just gotten done telling him, yes, I love you. He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. So when, when we begin to delve into this a little bit more, Jesus has appeared to the disciples after he just gave them a miraculous catch of fish. They had tried all night, not caught anything. They kind of get done with the shift. You ever been done with the shift and somebody asks you to go right back to work? Man, that's brutal. But Jesus said, get back in the boat and go catch some fish. And so they went back in the boat and they caught so many fish that the net was, was tearing. But they get out of the boat with this miraculous catch of fish and they go on the shore and they begin to eat with Jesus. And Jesus, knowing full well that Peter had denied him three times the night of his crucifixion, begins to, to question him. Jesus begins to address Peter's failures. And he's asking him, Peter, do you love me? And I love verse 17. This is where it kind of comes to a head, this, this questioning. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And I love the response from Peter. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. You see, here's what's happening here. Jesus is eating with him, and he's questioning Peter. And in a loving way, he's putting his thumb right on the thing that hurts most in Peter's life. 
right on the thing that is bringing Peter the most strife, the mistake that he had made of denying Jesus after saying, Jesus, I will go with you before the Sanhedrin. I will die with you. Jesus is, is, is pushing right on the thing that gave him the most distress. But something cool happens here. Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? And, and Peter answers, yes, I love you three times. You see, the reason that Jesus asked three times is because Peter denied him three times. So in a sense, he's asking for every single time that he denied Christ, he's asking him each time for, for an opportunity for that redemption if he loved him. So from this exchange, these three times of asking him, do you love me, and telling him to feed his sheep, from this exchange, we get the idea that Jesus is restoring Peter to a right relationship with him. Peter is getting the opportunity, in a sense, to answer for each one of those times that he denied Christ. He's getting a, a chance to answer for each mistake that he made in the heat of, our mom, in, in the, heat of the moment. So in this, it's kind of our first point this morning. We have to face our mistakes. We have to face our sins. But ultimately, God deals with them. We have to face our sins. You can't just brush it under the table you can't just hide it or get, away, get, get rid of it yourself. But at the same time, God is the one that deals with it. Jesus is the one that deals with it. You know, when I think about the, the mistakes and sin and the struggles and the things in our lives, just kind of like Peter, when, when Jesus is putting his thumb on it, it kind of reminds me of coming back from the gym. You see, my problem with the gym is I don't go to the gym enough. So if I go to the gym, like, like tomorrow, if I go to the gym or, or say I want to go play hoops, I go play hoops, and I only play hoops like once a month, the next day I'm super sore. And I've been told the older you get, the worse that gets. So, you know, there's these spots like, oh, my hip, oh, my knee, oh, my, you know, my shoulder. You just, you keep finding these spots that, that are painful and they hurt. And like, I didn't even know that existed. You see, our, our mistakes are kind of like this. They're kind of the sore spots that, that, man, we didn't even know really were there hurting us. You see, our mistakes are, are kind of like a lake. I, I, I tried to swim across the lake back home one time. And when you, when you try to swim across a lake, uh, you, especially when you're young, you kind of overestimate uh, yourself. I don't know if you've ever tried to swim across a, a big body of water, but, but, but our mistakes are kind of like the water. And in a sense, Jesus, or God, is on the other side. And we want to be with God on the other side, but our mistakes, the water is so hard to get through. You see, when you try to swim across a big body of water, not only is it cold and, 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 and kind of, uh, st it stings, it's hard to get through. It's just, I don't even like to swim. But we want to get to the other side to be with God. And just on our own, trying to swim across, many of us would drown or fail or not be able to do it. You see, our, our mistakes, like Peter's denial here, is, is like this body of water. It seems impossible and impassable to get beyond our mistakes. But we know we want to get to the other side to be with God. Either way, we have to deal with this mass of water in front of us, this mass of mistakes, or, or the things that are before us, we've got to deal with them. But this is where Jesus enters the picture. This is what Jesus is doing here with Peter. In a sense, he's like a boat. 
So if we're standing on one side of the lake and we want to get to the other side by ourselves, we're probably going to get a quarter of the way and start to drown. And we're not going to make it. But Jesus enters in and he's like a boat that we hop in and he is the way that, that we don't even necessarily have to touch the water. You're going to see the effects of the sin. But, but Jesus takes the brunt of getting across the expanse of that water, getting us to the other side, allowing us to be with God. I think there's two important things in this picture. First, to be close with God, we have to deal with our sin. There is no other way. It has to be dealt with. Sin and mistakes and the things that, that mess us up have to be dealt with to be close to God. But the second point from this is that Jesus takes care of that problem of sin. Jesus gets us to the other side. Jesus is the one that overcomes it. Like Peter, Jesus is the key to our restoration when we make a mistake. When we stumble and bumble and, and, and we mess up, because we all will, I'll tell you, I'm the first one. As a pastor, I make mistakes. As a pastor, sin is always there crouching, trying to take hold of me. But Jesus is the key to restoration. We have to let him work in our lives. But the first step is addressing those mistakes. But I love that the passage moves on. Look at verse 18. So Jesus just got done with this interaction with Peter. He tells him the third time, feed my sheep. In verse 18, I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. So this is kind of Jesus' response after they've gone back and forth. And it's a little bit cryptic at first. You see, in a sense, the questions back and forth, do you love me, feed my sheep? The back and forth questions, in a sense, has restored Peter. He has, he has been brought back from the pebble that he had turned himself into back to the rock that is Peter. So he's been restored, but Jesus kind of turns and he points in this phrase, he, he, he looks at the turns that, that Jesus' life was about to take. Or excuse me, that Peter's life was about to take. You see, Peter plays a crucial role in the early stages of the church. Um, we look at scripture and even, even kind of historical records, and we see that Peter was one of the most crucial characters in the first stages of the church. He's so important that the Catholic church named their whole central church after him. But, he, but he's, he's crucial to... Uh, the, the beginning stages of the church. He was kind of the first step of Christianity. In fact, Peter is so monumental that Peter was the first one that took the truth of the gospel to the Gentiles. So in a sense, we're in church this morning because Peter had a vision to take the good news of Jesus to the whole world. And we're here with Peter and Jesus, and Jesus is like, right now you dress yourself. We all dress ourselves. Yeah, we, we know that. But some days other will dress you. Others will dress you. Other, in, others, in other words, he's saying, someone else is going to decide your every mood or your every move. In other words, someday you're going to be a prisoner. Tradition holds that, that Peter was actually crucified and he was crucified upside down. That one day he was arrested and he was charged that he went to jail, that he faced uh, the consequences of, of, in a sense, preaching against the Roman uh, government. And Jesus is saying, even though it's cryptic, that someday you will be killed for what you believe. And that's what history holds, that, that it actually happened. Peter's love that has, 
has, that he's just gotten done enumerating, just telling Jesus, yes, I love you. The, the, the love that he's getting done, just enumerating for his Christ would compel him to give his life for what Jesus had done for him. So I think in this is our next point. Our sin does not have to define us, but Jesus' love should. You see, moving on, Peter wasn't defined by his three times of denying Christ, but his love and, 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 and what Jesus was doing in his heart moved him so much that he was going to give his life on a cross upside down to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he was no longer defined by his denial and his mistakes and the, and the, the things he had messed up on, but he was defined, on, defined by his love for Jesus Christ. Yeah, we know about his denial. Yeah, we, we talk about his, his, his denouncing Christ three times before the rooster crows. But his greater mark on all of this was the, the mark that he made for the gospel. The mark that he made to, to usher in this new movement of the church. And what drove Peter is that he could not be silent because Jesus loved him so much. That's what the cross is about. How in our failures, Christ loved us so much that he died for us. That's the story of the cross. That's the story of Easter time. That, that, that Christ loved us so much that despite our mistakes, despite our failures, despite all the times we've tripped up, that Christ died for us because he loves us. So to apply this just a little bit, our tendency is to allow, allow our mistakes to define us. A lot of times we look more at our mistakes than we do anything else. We look at how we've failed at this or, 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 we've, or we've had sin in our life here and we, and we have a tendency to allow those things to define us. But it doesn't have to. Our sin doesn't have to define us. The gospel gives us a new definition. When we accept who Christ is and what he's done for us on the cross, our new definition is through Christ's love. I love how John 1.12 puts it. Yet to all who uh, did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In this we see that nothing holds us back from Christ. There's nothing that, that will hold us back. Not even our sin will hold us back from Christ. Nothing will keep us from what Christ can do in our lives. We just need to believe and accept what only he offers in salvation. We need to believe and accept what he gives us through the cross. And then when we do that, our, our identity is like Christ. That's what's crazy about what scripture says. Our identity becomes like Christ. We're adopted as sons like Christ is. So therefore, our sin doesn't define us anymore. But through love and step by step, God can use us with this new identity to do, accomplish great things for Christ's glory. Finally, we come to the last portion of the passage this morning. Let's look at the passage one more time in, in verse 19. Looking at verse 19. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Jesus said to Peter, follow me. We see in this exchange, as, as, as Peter is restored by Jesus, as he's put back to, to a right relationship, uh, as each one of his denials is addressed, as Jesus is kind of putting his thumb on, on each one of the, the denials, 
that Jesus shows an unprecedented love towards him. That Jesus shows an unreal love towards Peter. You see, most of us would be like, you denied me three times. Away with you. I don't need you around me. But he shows unprecedented love toward him. And Jesus ends the whole conversation by saying, follow me. Follow me. See, this is the same call that Peter had given him three years before. See, this wasn't the first time he said, follow me. The last time he was a fisherman, the last time he was at the Sea of Galilee dragging in fish in a net, he said, follow me. You see, even at that point, three years before this, Jesus knew exactly what Peter was going to do. That, that he was going to make all the mistakes in the three years of their ministry, that he was going to deny him three times, and Jesus still called him and said, follow me. Jesus was aware of all of his mistakes and still said, Peter, come with me. The same call is echoed throughout Scripture. And when we look at this, this, this whole sermon series, we find our third point. God chooses and uses failures. God chooses and uses failures. In all of this, he could have called the experts, but he doesn't. He could have called the guys that really probably knew what, what it took to do ministry in the first century, but he doesn't. You see, Jesus talks to the experts. In the first century, they were known as Pharisees. And really, if we're honest, the Pharisees probably were good at doing everything. If there was somebody with, without a lot of mistakes, in a sense, it might have been the Pharisees, because they were really good at following the rules and doing exactly like they were supposed to do. But Jesus pushed back on that and said, that's empty. Just following the rules is empty. But he called guys like, like Peter and guys like Moses were called and, and guys like Jonah were called because God chooses and, u- and uses failures. He called Peter these three years before his denial, knowing full well that he would do all these things. And Jesus still called him knowing that he was going to be a failure, knowing that he was going to trip up. But even knowing the mistakes that Peter was going to make, knowing that he was going to deny him three times when it mattered most, Jesus also knew what Peter was capable of. See, Jesus also knew the impact that Peter was going to make after the denial. After this encounter on the shore of Galilee, Jesus knew that that Peter would be one of the most crucial people in one of the greatest movements of all time. So he didn't just see the failure of Peter, but he saw the potential and what Peter was going to do when it was all said and done. He knew the good things that Peter was going to accomplish. So God chooses and uses failures because his goal is to redeem us. Because he takes our mistakes, because he takes our failures, because he takes the things that that we're so bad at sometimes. And he brings us back to right relationship, just like he does with Peter here. Brings us back to right relationship so that we can accomplish things for his glory. I love how Hebrews 7.25 puts it. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Completely. 
when we like to say that our mistakes or the things we mess up on define us or we, or we even say those things, I can't do this because, man, you don't, know, you don't know what I do when I'm not at church. You don't know the mistake I made. You don't know, you don't know how I've messed up here or messed, messed up at this or, or how I've treated somebody. But Scripture tells us that, that he saves us completely, those who come to him. So I think our example this morning is that we need to approach Jesus like Peter did. Here's what's cool about Peter. This whole thing shows us that Peter wasn't a success story overnight. He wasn't, like three years earlier, he wasn't just a fisherman that became this super awesome disciple. We see throughout the whole process that he's even learning how to be a disciple. He's still probably, you know, after three years, he's, there's still a lot of fishermen in Peter. So it wasn't just this, like, flip the switch, and he's the guy that started the church. It was a process that God was working in his heart, redeeming him, bringing him back, loving him. Just read the Gospels. Read through how Jesus takes fishermen and tax collectors and normal ragtag dudes and changes their lives so that they, have, they, they, they make an amazing impact. I love when we look at Peter because we see at this point that he was humble and he was willing, but he took the step of following Jesus. He took the step to follow Jesus and to follow what he's called him to do. He calls us to do the same thing. In a sense, that's the gospel. See, Jesus' call to each one of us, as we look at Peter, as we look at the example, as we look at the whole picture of him dying and raising from the grave, Jesus calls us to leave our mistakes behind and allow him to restore us. He calls us to follow him. He says, get in the boat with me, and we're going to cross this huge lake of mistakes, and I'm going to bring you right up close to God. All we have to do is be humble and willing and accept the fact that Jesus can do this for us. You see, what Jesus is about, his specialty, if Jesus had a specialty, his specialty is turning failures into powerful rocks for his church. That's what Peter means in Greek. It's rock. He takes failures and turns them into powerful workers for his kingdom, for his church, powerful rocks that impact the world. And they all start with being fishermen or tax collectors or bankers or trash, trashmen or a welder's helper in the oil patch. So as I come to conclude this morning, I ask that everybody would bow their heads and close their eyes. Everybody would bow their head and close their eyes. What's cool about approaching God's word is that in a lot of ways we relate. In a lot of ways we can see ourselves like Peter. A lot of ways we can say, yeah, I, there are things that, that trip me up. Yeah, there's mistakes. But we're reminded through this passage this morning that that doesn't have to define us. So there's kind of two simple ways to respond this morning. First of all, Maybe you've never heard the analogy of something like the lake. Maybe you're realizing that, man, my mistakes really have put a huge expanse of water, a huge expanse of 
obstacle between me and God. Maybe you're here this morning, you're saying, I've been trying to swim through that myself and I can't make it. What the the scripture is telling us this morning is that God gets us there. That Jesus is the way for us to close the gap, for us to get across the expanse, for us to, to cross the lake. Jesus is the way that we do that. And it's simple. You acknowledge that you have those mistakes, but you say, I need Jesus to get me there. And you just, you simply tell him, you pray to him and you say, Jesus, get me to the other side. Get me right with God. If that's something you want to do today, I just want you to raise your hand. I just want you to raise your hand. And and what I want to do is I just want to meet with you later and talk about that. And, And walk you through exactly what that means. Now, at the same time, maybe you've acknowledged that in your life. Maybe that's something that that you realize that, okay, maybe I'm already in the boat. But maybe you're still using your mistakes and the things that hold you back to not accomplish things for the Lord. And I'm not necessarily talking about being a huge thing. Maybe, you know, God's maybe not calling you to ministry tomorrow, but he is calling you to love your neighbor. He's calling you to love the people of Helena. That's even a small step sometimes. But if you're here this morning, you're saying, man, Caleb, I feel like I'm letting my mistakes get in the way of me making an impact for good. And I just want you to pray for me. I'm not gonna call you out or call you up front or anything like that, but I wanna know who I need to specifically pray for this week. If you want me to pray for you this week, I want you to raise your hand. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that